Welcome to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and it's such an honor and pleasure to be here with you again. It's it's a couple of years running. I went and looked up how many episodes we've had, and, and of course, I've forgotten the number. Uh, I have never had a great short-term memory, and it seems to not be getting better with age, but you know, I'm glad we have all these handy tools that we can use to uh, remind ourselves of important information. But, you know, I'm feeling really good, even as even as a whole lot of things are playing out that are really uncomfortable, that are very concerning. Um, on the whole, I feel like this nation and so many people, so many people around the world are going through this amazing journey of understanding of the importance of what it is to um, to have community, to protect freedoms, to talk together, to work together, to pay attention to what people they put in places of authority are doing. And you know what? It's September 9th. And here in beautiful Tennessee, there's just the nip of fall beginning to come in the air. When you get up in the morning, it's a little chilly and there's the dew and the spiders are everywhere you go with their nests. And, um, you know, life goes on and it's, it, it re-inspires me every day to go out, walk barefoot in the grass, look at the trees, stand quietly, listen to nature, and realize that, you know, we live in an amazing world, beautiful creation. And whatever crazy problems mankind has decided to throw in our path, we can overcome them by working together. And today, I've got a couple of guests, and they are people who, through what we've been experiencing the past, past couple of years, have been going on their own journeys and deciding they're not going to sit back and complain and, and, um, and just let things happen. They decided to step up, pay attention, do some research, and try to make the world a better place and to help people. So my first guest um, in this first hour, is, his name is Brian Ward. And I'm going to read a little bit. There he is. Hello, Brian. Hey there. Um, I love what it says on your website about you. So I'm going to read through it a little bit. You say that becoming an expert on statutes governing the administration of experimental substances involving humans was never on your radar. However, when you saw the Navy SEALs being treated as if they were the enemy, you took notice. And then when nurses were fired, students were denied access to schools, fathers and their families forced out onto the streets because they refused to volunteer for Pfizer's biomedical research project. It got my blood boiling. I love that. I love that. So you dove down. You did thousands of hours of research. Um, to understand the rights of America, to understand the laws of this great country, which are being trampled all over the place. So, Brian, I'd like to back up a little bit. Can you tell me who Brian Ward was 
2019 before all this craziness hit? Um, well, my background for the last 30 years is I've worked with America's largest corporations as a strategist. Um, and <laughs> that's just the easiest way to put it. A lot of times they would call me in and say, we have this problem. Uh, please help us solve it. Most of the time it was for the purpose of generating more revenue. Um, I've worked on $10,000 projects and I've worked on billion dollar projects with some of America's largest companies. And that's what I was doing in 2019. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, you know, it was it was um, it was interesting in the beginning, uh, even had an element of fun to it in the sense that we all cuddled up in our houses for a little bit, you know, and had family time. Um, but then it became uh, abusive. Um, I was working mm -hmm. on a couple of contracts that I lost specifically because of uh, this pandemic. Everybody stopped working. No one needed the services that I was offering. And I lost one of my largest uh, clients because of this. They completely went under. Uh, they were a national real estate company who managed what they call short sales. <clears throat> and so little by little, um, I started realizing that I needed to figure out how to move my life forward. Uh, at the same time, you know, a lot of my friends who are in the Air Force, uh, Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, started talking to me about the problems they were experiencing. And and then I saw how they started treating the Navy SEALs, as you just said. And so one day after I was asked to research it a little bit, I thought I would do it myself. Um, but to be honest with you, I thought I would sit down with my caramel macchiato and my good music and research for a couple of hours and say, well, I did my part. There was nothing here for me to find. Mm -hmm. um, however, 10 hours into the research, I realized that we weren't legally speaking at a place called vaccine mandates, whether they were legal or not. We were at a place called medical experimentation. And it evolved a set of statutes that started being developed in the mid-1970s by Congress with the passage of the National Research Act in 1974. And that's where we're at because that's where we have been at and still mm -hmm. are because all of the drugs that are available, the vaccines that are available, are classified by the FDA as an investigation on the new drug. Mm -hmm. And the legal definition of an IND is that it is a substance that has been tested in a laboratory and authorized by the FDA to test in humans otherwise known as experimental or investigational agent. Mm -hmm. So my life um, up to this point was doing a lot of research. It was critical thinking, a lot of critical thinking, because God has blessed me with a gift that when I read about a particular subject matter, when I read about that subject matter again, my brain makes that connection, even if it was 30 years apart from one another. Oh, I envy you your memory. I opened the show talking about I have a poor memory. And that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. So that's how I got into it. And, um, you know, it's not thousands of hours, uh, but about a thousand hours I have invested thus far into it. And once I got into it, I'll just be honest with you. I kind of geeked out. Um, there was a geek <laughs> side of me that came out. Yeah. And I kept going into, as soon as I thought I finished a rabbit hole, okay, I would come up for air and then there would be something that would pop up, a mm -hmm. statute, a policy, a a, a paper from the FDA from the 1970s or 80s. And mm -hmm. it would open up an entire new booklet to me of yeah. more statutes, more policies. And, and so what I have here and what I have discovered is an entire um, um, system 
that these medical companies, these hospitals, these governors, the federal government, they're supposed to abide by and comply with that they are not doing so. In fact, I discovered that Congress already passed a bill that led to the creation of a definition of informed consent. And not a single lawyer that I have spoken to in America has even heard of this definition. Mm -hmm. And it has never been argued in a court of law since it was entered into the Federal Register in April of 1979. Okay, so when you say it has never been argued, you mean they, they took this bill that passed into law, and when somebody's rights were being violated, they they refer to the statute and the judge says, oh, you're right. You know, is that what you mean when it has? No, what I mean is that lawyers are completely and wholly unaware of these statutes. So they're not using them to defend their clients. Exactly. Okay. And so what I started off, my first goal, my first belief, naive (laughs) belief, is that if I just did the research, because in my experience in corporate America, okay, in corporate mm-hmm. America, if you if you discovered a problem and I came up with a solution, I would go to the CEO and said, I have the solution to your problem. The CEO was overwhelmed with joy, um, was uh, desirous to engage in that process to fix the problem. And most of the time it generated more revenue for the company. So I just took that 30 years of experience and I approached our first of all, our state attorneys general. And when I say I approached him, I approached him individually. I called up their offices, could not get a single one on the phone with me. Which states did you try? You name it. I would say at least 20 of the most conservative Republican attorneys general you can imagine. I've called them all. Even in my own state of Florida, multiple times. So then I went a step further. I have a lot of people in the Air Force, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but a lot of them that have uh, coalesced around me. And I said, hey, colonels. We're not talking about cadets here, uh, majors, captains. I want 400 of you. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I want you to call Jeff Landry of Louisiana. I believe Jeff Landry, the attorney general there, is the smartest attorney general in the United States of America. No one's going to convince me otherwise that he doesn't know that what's taking place is illegal. So 400 of these officers called in two days. Wow. Asking him to get on the phone with me. Could not get him on the phone with me. Can you imagine that? No. And and do, do you know what's going on here? What, why wouldn't he get on the phone with you? Well, I have, I have significant document. I have documented my research significantly by statute without emotion. And, and let me just tell you my approach that I have taken. I have avoided um, conversations about drug safety and drug efficacy I have avoided religious exemption. I have avoided natural immunity. I have avoided whether or not vaccine mandates are legal or illegal. And I did that by design and as a strategy because I have focused specifically on the statutes that state that the American individual has the authority and the power and the right to refuse the administration of a substance classified by the FDA as experimental without, quote, incurring a penalty are losing a benefit to which they are otherwise entitled to, end quote. That is the law when it comes to these substances. And I have done that because I want to make it as black and white as possible. So, you know, probably what would be a really good thing to do is go into some um, history here to help you understand how these laws came about 
and and what these laws mean for us to date and actually what's taking place with some of the law firms I'm now working with. Yeah, um, let's I think do it will be exciting for you. Yeah. Well, let's go through some history here because your your listeners will be shocked to hear this. Prior to 1974, the research abuse by medical researchers in America was so horrific that during the Nuremberg trials, the Nazis actually used that research as the foundation of their legal defense. Used U.S. research saying that, oh, look, they're doing things as bad? Yes. By American researchers on Americans without their informed consent. Let me give you some examples. Uh, a, a particular university brought in 300 female prisoners and injected them with live cancer cells just to see what would happen. No informed consent. Um, a mental institute um, sprayed malaria through nasal spray bottles into mental patients to purposely infect them with malaria uh, without their consent. Um, we have the U.S. Army who went down to Guatemala, injected prostitutes with STDs, put them in the prison systems just to see how STDs were spread. We have the U.S. Navy who flew over the entire city of San Francisco and sprayed the entire city with a bacterial agent to study what would happen if there was a biological warfare event in America. People woke up with pneumonia-like illnesses. We had one death for certain. In Georgia, the U.S. Army dropped 300,000 mosquitoes on a city just to see what would happen. Um, there, there are research abuses where uh, the U.S. Army Atomic Energy planted radioactive isotope, isotopes in the water supply system, in plants, in cities. Um, the worst yet, one of the worst ones is that they took a, a, a children's mental um, institute in New York. They took the extracts from of feces of infected syphilis patients and fed those extracts to those children to intentionally infect them with syphilis. So -hmm. then you have the Tuskegee Institute. um, Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's familiar with that research abuse. Mm -hmm. As a result, listen, I've given you just a handful of these um, examples, but when I say there are thousands upon thousands over a period of decades, I literally mean that. These aren't rare events. These were common occurrences all day long. So in 1974, Congress um, heard enough from the American people Um, The Tuskegee Institute issue became a a big national news story. So in 1974, Congress passed the National Research Act. Now, that act didn't create a statute per se. What it required was the the establishment of a commission. Uh, The protection of human subjects involved in biomedical and behavioral research. And this commission was required to do a couple of things. Number one, to uh, lay out the basic ethical guidelines when involving humans in experimental research. Number mm-hmm. two, to consider the na- uh, nature and definition of informed consent. So over a period of three and a half years, um, uh, bioethicists, epidemiologists, people within the industry submitted about 800 pages of essays to this commission. Then in 1978, the commission met in Belmont, Maryland at the Belmont Conference Center. And out of those 800 pages, they created a 10-page report titled the Belmont Report. Yeah. In, in April of 1979, it was entered into the Federal Register having the force of law. And from that, we have all of these statutes titled the common rule, which mm-hmm. the primary one is in 45 CFR 46 uh, under yes. HHS, and it's called the common rule. And from that, we have 20 federal agencies that have adopted the common rule, all 50 U.S. states, 
all 50 U.S. state health agencies. And in 2001, and, I, and I'll, I'll go back and explain the, the informed consent under the Belmont report, but I want to show you how much power and position it has in America. In 2001, HHS created an office called the Office of Human Research Protections. And from that, they created a program called FWA, which means the Federal Wide Assurance Program. Now, this entity requires anybody doing business with HHS to sign a tangible contract to have an FWA agreement on file. And it basically states that, number one, the entity must have an ethical policy in place if they're going to involve humans with experimental products. Number two, it must abide by 45 CFR 46 and the Belmont report. So who are the types of entities? Well, there's tens of thousands of them, first of all. So you would have your state government. You would have all of your hospitals because, as you're about to learn, hospitals are constantly utilizing investigational drugs with their patients mm-hmm. um, for, for ethical reasons. Um, and then your, all your universities every single lab company you can imagine in America. So there's tens of thousands of these entities. So let's go back to 45 CFR 46, because I want your readers, uh, your listeners to understand the force of law the Belmont Report has. It states, number one, any experimental product or research um, activity uh, that's going to go through the HHS or these other federal agencies must abide by the ethical principles of the Belmont Report, black and white by statute. Then it says... If any activity is going to be exempt from this policy, those alternative activities must abide by the ethical principles of the Belmont Report. So we see that there's nowhere an experimental product can go in America where it doesn't have to abide by the Belmont Report. In fact, even in the Department of Defense, um, all EUA products that go into the DOD, they come under the authority of the um, Army Surgeon General. He has a branch called the Human Subjects Research and Review Board. There is a 150-page booklet of regulations. It states all forced health protection products in the DOD, such as EUA products, must abide by the Belmont Report. Um, So it just there's no exemption from it. So why does that matter to us? Well, the Belmont Report, I like it even better than the Nuremberg Code, I'll be honest with you, because they chose, instead of having line item of statutes, that Congress can get around with, what they did is they created a philosophical discussion. And they said, first of all, there must be respect for persons any time an experimental product is interacted with the human individual. And that respect for persons declares that we must treat them as autonomous agents, that they will have the right to determine what happens to their body. And the way that we respect them is that we must establish, quote, a set of adequate conditions, end quote, when um, providing them an opportunity to participate and to receive their informed consent. So what would, what does that, those, uh, that set of adequate conditions look like? Well, according to the Belmont report, it declares that the individual cannot be under quote sanctions, quote coercive policies, or number three, quote undue influence and undue influence it also be a positive thing. So, for example, a corporation that says we'll give you a vacation if you take the drug, that's undue influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's a reward. I, 
This is fantastic information. It is stuff that I'm familiar with, but what I, I really love is your, your grasp of where it all flows through history and your, your grasp of the details. This is really good information. I want to share with you. Um, let's see. Are you seeing this here? We're going to go look at a product called Tpox, which is a drug to treat smallpox or monkeypox. Um, that's being used. Now, it's not um, never been used to treat monkeypox before. And so when you go look at this at like if somebody who's going to be giving it, this is the only antiviral that individuals with monkeypox are being told are available. How to obtain it, it's coming through the strategic uh, stockpile. There's a protocol um, there's an E-A-I-N-D here is required, required informed consent. So that's good. Although when you go look deeply at it, I don't think that the average person, unless you really take a long time to critically look at it, completely understands what it means. Um, cause at one point the informed consent, um, it's like five pages long. It says, um, you're not waiving any of your rights. Uh, if you are injured, you seek compensation from the um, the countermeasures compensation program, which, you know, nobody is ever reimbursed through that program. And you have to hire your own attorney. They don't reimburse attorney fees and everything. People don't understand what that means. But anyway, I'm, I'm bringing this up right now because of our conversation. If you look here, um, let's just let's I'm going to have you read this and analyze and just get your reaction as we go of what they say about this product. So are you able to see that? I am. So it says the um, that this product for monkeypox is going through an international review board, um, which serves. Um, let's see. Facilities may elect to rely on the CDC IRB for centralized review and approval by submitting. And it tells. So there we go. What you mentioned, the Human Research Protection Office. Within seven calendar days of treatment with Tecovirumat, well, I can't pronounce it, so that's why got, they call it TPOX. CDC will promptly document an agreement in writing using the CDC IRB authorization agreement and their sample template. Um, the bottom bullet point here is what I think is alarming, and I have brought this up to several people, including my congresswoman. It says, since this TPOX EAIND protocol is solely for treatment use, CDC determined that its use does not constitute research involving human subjects, as defined by 45 CFR 46.102, which you were just discussing. Therefore, federal-wide assurance requirements do not apply. So they just decided that they were going to waive... <laughs> these laws and say they don't apply to us because we're giving it as a treatment? Well, I have a, you know, I don't know what dot 102 specifically is. I can look at it later on, but I could tell you this, that if a product is under an IRB, it follows it, the, an IRB. It's, it's exclusive reason for existence is to comply with 45 CFR 46. First of all, mm -hmm. that is its policy. Number two, I mean, uh, number three, um, a human subject is any a subject under 45 CFR 46 is someone who is, has an interaction with an experimental product. That's a subject. Clinical research um, is any time you, you have a subject 
and an experimental product and an element of research involved. So what is an element of research? It could be as little as data gathering. Um, when it says we must report adverse reactions, that is an element of research. So the CDC here, um, the, first, the first thing that popped out to me is that CDC says we will serve as a central um, IRB for review and approval. Um, that's very concerning to me, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure the CDC has become an IRB in the past. Um, I'm not 100% on that. But I can tell you that this is – that I hadn't seen this before, but it doesn't shock me because I can tell you that the FDA, the CDC, and the Department of Justice are now working to create a new drug classification outside of the uh, authorization of, of Congress – um, you won't hear about this outside of the Department of Defense, but they're calling these drugs in the DOD, EUA products, BLA, BLA compliant drugs. First of all, no one even knows what that means. BLA compliant typically means in a manufacturing process, um, there must be a standard approved. So what I discovered in December 16th of 21, um, the uh, FDA had a concurrence letter. And this thing was, I don't know, 50, 80 pages long. On page 27, letter A, I have it memorized now because it stuck out to me. The FDA, through CBER, the Center for Biological uh, Biologics and Evaluation Research, um, they requested that Pfizer label some EUA products as BLA compliant because they were manufactured in a BLA compliant facility. Okay, as an EUA product, it doesn't matter if it was manufactured in a BLA compliant facility. Mm -hmm. It is still an EUA product. Mm -hmm. Why does this matter? Because now the Department of Justice are saying that the Department of Defense has Comirnaty labeled BLA compliant products. So what happened in December of 16th on this um, issue, they said that we um, asked and I'm paraphrasing here, we being FDA asked Pfizer to label these EUA products as BLA compliant. And then we sent out a, what they call a dear healthcare provider letter. So a DHP, as they call it, is when they send out if there's a problem in your manufacturing, a mislabeling or something they want to notify to healthcare providers across the nation. Mm -hmm. So they said that we sent out this letter about these BLA compliant vials and we gave them um, a link to a website. So then, mysteriously, these BLA-compliant vials are showing up in Department of Defense, and now the Department of Justice is arguing in a federal court that these products, they are referring that they're FDA-licensed and approved, but they refuse to call them FDA-licensed. Now, listen, an FDA-licensed means it's a product that has been approved by the FDA <laughs> for general commercial marketing purposes. And so now what they're inducing these judges, because everybody's completely unaware of this process that we're talking about, these statutes involving the protection of human subjects, they're now introducing in the courts that BLA compliant drugs can be mandated. Well, they're still experimental products. And, and, and this is why my efforts have changed two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I was advised by attorneys to stop providing information and actually start providing consultation to attorneys to actually get involved in the legal process itself, help them to develop their legal briefs, show up in court with them um, and help fight this process. Because, you know, it's one thing to have an understanding of the statutes. It's another thing to understand how all the statutes um, interact with each other. 
Yeah. And that's what is blowing me away with what you're doing, because I have read so much of what you've done. But I don't have what, your grasp of it and, and how they all interact together and what they mean. This is you are a gift with your ability to research. And I'm just so grateful for you. I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. <clears throat> so are you saying that the what the government is attempting to do is say, hey, we licensed FD or Pfizer's shot and 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 call it the licensed version is now called community. Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do is put on all the EUA vials that still exist in the United States, and we're going to call those BLA compliant. And we're going to try to tell healthcare practitioners that they're the same thing. And we're going to tell the Department of Defense that you can you can mandate these because they're equivalent, because they're, they're BLA compliant compliant. They made up some term that really has no legal meaning and trying to fool them into thinking it means that these are the same product. Is that what they're doing? Uh, Everything except this this, uh, edit here. Um, Not all EUA vials. They did it to a certain number of lots. So a lot could be 50,000 vials, okay? Okay. Uh, It could be 10,000 vials. So it was a a set of lot numbers um, that we have proven um, already in these court cases that they Mm -hmm. are not, uh, that they're not licensed. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is the avenue they're taking because, it, you know, it probably were a good idea if I bullet point for you how an EUA product applies to our conversation here, because that's mm-hmm. where people get confused at. OK, um, I have the right to refuse this, but they say it's interchangeable. These are the same products. There's no difference. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, they're this, legally distinct. It says clearly that they're legally distinct products yeah, in the licensing. Yeah, exactly. But here's the problem. The, the lawyers don't understand what the legal distinctions are. Okay. So even, even lawyers in courtroom, they I've read the briefs. They say the FDA said these are legal distinctions, but they never explain to the court what those distinctions are. Gotcha. And it's because they don't know. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you, and I think you'll be excited. Um, an EUA product is legally considered experimental. If it wasn't experimental, it wouldn't have to have an EUA authorization, right? An experimental right. product, they have all been given the classification. All these vaccines have been classified by the FDA as an investigational new drug. The word investigational means experimental. It's just investigate is a lot more copacetic to say to people than, hey, you're gonna, we're going to be experimenting with you, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So um, anytime you have a human individual and, well, now um, animals, um, they fit into this as well, and you have an experimental product and there's an element of research, that is legally the definition for medical experimentation, okay? Okay, and I love that you define this way because I've been in this since before COVID. And, um, you know, it's it's my understanding based on what we know and don't know and what studies have been done and have not been done. And because of the requirement for uh, post-marketing studies to be done, that vaccination, even after licensing, is still experimental to some degree because Absolutely. you just don't know how it's going to impact individuals. And then 10 years from now, environmental situations can change. Something new could happen and be introduced in the environment. And suddenly these products are behaving differently than they used to. So there, there's always an element. So is that what you're saying is that as long as um, 
a company is required by law to gather data on the use of this product and monitor it for adverse reactions, then it's still investigational, experimental? Well, no, I, I, can't, I have to be legally accurate with you, okay? Okay. So if the product is classified as experimental and there's an element of research, then all of these statutes apply to that. Um, do, with your post-marketing studies of approved products, is that considered research? Yes, but you have an approved product at that point. And so technically speaking by the law, um, that would avoid a lot of these um, investigational um, statutes um, okay. that protect human subjects. So okay. but once, you, once you have the EUA product, they are labeled and classified as experimental. They're, they come under um, uh, an institutional review board. They have to comply with 45 CFR 46. But even when the statement by the CDC we just read that says we don't comply with 45 CFR 46, they're exempt. They still have to comply with the Belmont report. There's no exemption okay. from that. Okay. Um, it says it right there. Um, so how does this apply to you? So let's take in Washington State, for example. I'm working with mm -hmm. a bunch of employees from Peace Health and Kaiser right now. Oh. We're about to have some significant lawsuits that are coming up. So okay. let me just let me just run down for you for a moment how this is practically applied, okay? Because yes. this will be of interest to your listeners. Um, who are in similar situations throughout America. So you take um, um, Peace Health Hospital System in Washington State, same thing in Oregon. <clears throat> First of all, they have a contract with the CDC called the Preferred Provider Agreement. So right now, the U.S. government owns all the, has the exclusive rights to all COVID vaccines. The only way a healthcare provider can access and be part of that is they have to sign this contract with the Center for Disease Control. And it says on it, when you, up, when you submit for reimbursement for these shots that you give them to people, you are testifying that you have complied with Section 564, which is the EUA section, and all applicable laws. Now, they don't spell out what those applicable laws are. Uh, because mm -hmm. there are applicable laws in all 50 states that are that are applied to this issue. Um, so what most people don't understand is that in 45 CFR 46, it says, listen, if there are laws in foreign governments and in state governments and Indian tribes that provide for additional protections, you are obligated to comply with those laws. So it doesn't exempt them. It actually incorporates them. So peace, health, they have, according to my opinion, okay, they have committed an act of fraud. And it declares in that contract, if you submit and you are testifying and you are found that you didn't apply with these laws, you have committed a fraud, which is both um, civil and criminal. So the other thing is that I looked it up, Peace Health, they have a federal wide assurance agreement on file with the CDC, that they have an ethical policy in place, that they will not coerce people to participate in these investigational drugs. They will not create sanctions or mandates that they will not apply to their employees or to their uh, guests. So now we have Peace Health that created a mandate. And listen what they did. They said that if you don't take these drugs, and they actually listed the experimental products. In other words, if you don't volunteer for medical experimentation, we will fire you as one of our employees. Yes. Then when the employees went down to take the shot, 
um, they actually gave them a document saying you have to sign this before you take the shot. And when I read it, I was shocked to see what I read. This is like Nazism. That document said, I am taking this shot out of my free will and voluntary consent. And I'm paraphrasing. It was a whole page of information. Yeah, yeah. So you're not, you know, if you're going to lose your job, that is not free will and voluntary consent, is it not? No. And you're forced to sign something that pretty much just is a, is a giant lie. How this is, and I, I'm so grateful to hear that you are working so closely in Washington state with these particular two groups. You know, if, if I recall correctly, one of our longtime senators in Washington state who is on the health committee for the Senate works for peace health. And I believe her job has to do with coordinating and compliance with the CDC. So it's kind of interesting, you know, dynamic when you have an elected official who may be in a position. um, I'm wondering if this individual might be um, caught up in the litigation that's going forward. How, How then, when you've got Peace Health doing these mandates, they're doing so at least partly because of the emergency order by Governor Inslee on all health uh, employees. So do we just turn this around, though, and say that the governor's violating the Belmont uh, report? Well, the governor's violating a whole heck of a lot more than the Belmont report. Um, He's knee deep in it, and um, I'm not part of that process yet. I will be speaking to that attorney, I hope, here in the next week who, from my understanding, he has 10,000 plus plaintiffs um, getting ready to sue Governor Inslee. Um, But when you have an emergency use authorization, the governor of each state, they are called in the EUA, they are declared as the emergency stakeholder. So they are the authority or they are the sponsor of the product. okay? Okay. So because of that, they have an obligation to ensure that the citizens of their state are not under a sanctioned coercive policy or undue influence. Um, that is their legal responsibility. So let me just let me just make it as black and white for your listeners as I can make it. Okay. Um, and I stand by this and I could go into a courtroom today and eviscerate any attorney um, on, uh, who's defending um, these um, unlawful actions. Every single American, let me just say as civilians, okay, every single civilian, you have the absolute right to refuse the administration of an experimental product as classified by the FDA without incurring a penalty or losing a benefit to which you are otherwise entitled. There is only one exemption to this, mm-hmm. only one that I know of in all of law, and that is if you are on your deathbed, you are unconscious, and you do not have legal representation nearby, and you are within hours of dying, and the doctor believes that an investigational product may save your life, they can apply that product without your informed consent. Outside of that scenario, for civilians, Non-DLD personnel. There is no statutory authority for Governor Inslee to penalize you, for Peace Health to penalize you, or Kaiser. It just simply does not exist. Now, they have come out and they have said, uh, in fact, I need to tell you this because I was going down that road earlier. They have said that these drugs are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. First of all, on August the 23rd of 2021, the FDA wrote a letter to Pfizer. And they said Pfizer, and I'm paraphrasing, Pfizer, both of your products, the experimental products and the approved products, um, have the same formulation. Hey, Pfizer, you can use these drugs interchangeably to fulfill the vaccination 
series. They didn't tell this to the American people. An hour later or so, Pfizer issued a press release and they said a healthcare provider may provide um, either of these products to fulfill or to meet the same medical intent. Now, that's a scientific statement. Let me give it to you legally, though. If you were to walk into your doctor's office and they um, administer to you BioNTech COVID-19, the experimental products, they are obligated by law to administer according to what is called the scope of authorization in the emergency use authorization letter. If your friend came in the same time and they were um, administered Comirnaty, that doctor is under no such requirements, even though they share the same formulation. Why? Because here are the legal distinctions. It's called drug classifications. So Congress told FDA to assign a classification to drug. And when they assign that classification, there are statutes passed by Congress. These are not just regulations. There is an entire body of statutes passed by Congress that's now attached to that classification. So there's an entire body of classifications assigned to BioNTech. So for example, when you agreed to take BioNTech, whether you realize it or not, you volunteered for a biomedical research project. These research agents now have the authority and the right to use your data for their research purposes. When you submitted to an EUA um, COVID-19 test, those body samples they took from you can now be used for research purposes. If they um, gave you an approved test, same product, they're not allowed to do that. Why? Because it's under a different set of statutes. So what we can't do is we can't go into a court of law, and this is something that's been lost with our lawyers that I'm working with now. You can't go into a court of law if I were injured by BioNTech, okay, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to sue Pfizer. I can't go into a court of law and say, Your Honor, I don't want to use the statutes associated with with BioNTech. I want to use the statutes associated with Comirnaty. In fact, I want to interchange them for my purposes. The judge would laugh at you. He would say, You can't just use laws interchangeably. Exactly. That's why we can't use laws interchangeably when it comes to these products under the purpose of mandates. So Governor Inslee had no statutory authority. He will not be able to prove it in a court of law. It simply does not exist. What he did, he said, I'm going to take the CDC recommendations. Those recommendations, if you go on the website, clearly declare that they are voluntary. And he said, I'm going to take these voluntary recommendations from the CDC, and I'm going to mandate that everybody in my state comply with them. Mm -hmm. That is wholly illegal. In 1992, Congress, uh, the United States Senate, ratified the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights Treaty. Article 7 clearly states no person may be subjected to scientific or medical experimentation without their free consent. Now, the word subjected does not mean physical restraint. It means under the force of law by one's government. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm going to make sure I meant to say it like 45 minutes ago. I'm so fascinated listening to you. COVIDpenalty.com. If you, like me, want to know more about Brian Ward and the work he's doing and this great information and and find a lot of these great uh, pieces of law that he is mentioning, they're on his website. So COVIDpenalty.com. Check it out. Um, see what he's doing. Give him your support. Um, I'm I'm just uh, 
grateful to you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, thank you for the plug. I appreciate that. So, you know, I'll just, I'll finish this. I looks like we're coming close to the end of our time and I'll just finish up with, you know, the, the story, the, or, okay. you know, the journey. Yes. Um, I started off and I spent an enormous sum of my own personal money, my own time, um, literally day in and day out. Uh, finally, my wife says, hey, you have to slow that up. You have to find a way to monetize your value here. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, then set up a, a donation support program. And I just can't tell you, listen, first of all, I want the American people to know that it was our men and women in uniform who came to me when I almost quit. And it was a captain, Albert Sagala, and he came to me and he says, Brian, we need your help. How can we help you? And I mm -hmm. said, well, I need editors. I need policy writers. And I just can't tell you the labor force coming from the DOD who's helping me right now. Um, significant skill sets. And then they mm -hmm. poured in $15,000 in my back pocket, you know, quickly to help me keep going. Um, and now I'm so excited that I am now working on bringing a lawsuit. It would be the most significant lawsuit against the Department of Defense. I have become an expert in all things military regulations. I have an understanding of regulations that attorneys aren't even familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I am working through attorneys, um, but using my research. And I am going to be able to prove beyond a legal shadow of a doubt that all negative actions taken against DOD personnel who are active service members, I should say that, or in reserve, um, they were all negative. They were all illegal and unlawful. And I believe with all my whole heart that by the time we get through, everybody who's been separated, we're talking about 18 and 20 year colonels and majors and captains who were within months to a year of, of full benefit retirement. So being threatened and they have been already separated without full benefits. Mm. And, and they have the right to refuse the administration. Mm -hmm. But because there has been a lack of understanding of, of these statutes that I'm speaking about, um, we've had some, um, I'm just going to say some not strong arguments. I'm going to be kind um, by some of the attorneys out there. And listen, I want, I, I want to say this. I'm thankful for every attorney who's gotten into the fight. Mm -hmm. um, I just minutes ago, literally, the courts upheld the right of, they upheld the injunction against the Air Force, against 10,000 personnel refusing the Air Force, allowing them to separate them on, um, because they have a religious conviction. Mm -hmm. And so they have up, upheld the um, injunction until the court case is over with, and that could take a significant number of months. Mm -hmm. And it just came down the pipeline right before I got on the um, got online with you. So, you know, yeah. we're having really good victories throughout America. That is so exciting. I'm so grateful for your work, for your brain power. And this is really what it has been needed is for somebody with um, to really understand the depth of the law, the breadth of the law, where it applies, how it applies, how it's being twisted um, and presented. Everybody, I believe, has been intentionally confused at some point in the whole Maybe. judicial system and and made to believe that they had no power and that and that other individuals did have the power to do what they're doing. Um, my next guest is an attorney who helps um, immigrants who are applying for uh, resident status with um, uh, with getting exemptions to immigration vaccination law or you know requirements. How does the Belmont report and the other? Um, things that you have been citing, how does that impact somebody trying to become a resident of the United States? 
Well, if you read these statutes and listen, there's a ton that I just can't go into because I would glaze mm -hmm. everybody's eyes over so their ears. Mm -hmm. um, the Belmont Report, 45 CFR 46, 32 CFR 219, and a whole bunch of others. It says individual. An individual it doesn't say citizen. Yeah, it doesn't say citizen. It doesn't say resident. It says individual underneath government authority. Ooh. Even if you're here illegally, you're underneath government authority. Okay. Um, and so I would suggest that because of the significant executive agreements we have, you know, one of them's called the E6 Harmonization Agreement, and that's just too much to get into here today. Okay. But um, I will tell you this. This will be an interesting note to you. You know, illegal immigrants aren't required to um, – be administered uh, a shot to get into this country, even when they're captured, they're not required. Right, right. And you want to know why? They would have the legal authority to sue Pfizer in an international court, something we citizens do not have the right to do. Oh, good heavens. Really? Yes. And so we find the same thing in Eastern Europe where, where they are not requiring those shots. And that's because Pfizer and other pharmaceutical companies says, nope, if we're not protected, by these immunity laws that we have through these experimental products, we're not going to participate. So the legal Im immigrants who are coming here the right way and filing the correct paperwork and, you know, trying to become residents, they're sort of being penalized for not sneaking over the border. <laughs> I mean, well, they're being penalized for wanting to become an American citizen. Yeah. So yeah. if you snuck over the border and they capture and put you on a bus and give you a social security number, no, they're not going to require you to get a vaccine. If that, but if that individual on their own gets it and then gets injured, you're saying they can they could sue the pharmaceutical company through the international court. Through the international probably, court, yeah, yeah, it probably wouldn't happen, obviously, because that requires a significant amount of money, right? Right. And so, someone <laughs> yeah. who has fifty dollars in their pocket is not going to be filing that lawsuit. But yeah. if it was done in mass, though, you see, if it was done in mass. Mm -hmm. and fifty thousand ended up being injured, now you have some lawyers who would say, "Hey, there's some money in this." Uh, we'll go through the international yeah. court to get after Pfizer. Yeah, and and Pfizer, um, I don't remember which country it was. One country refused to sign their agreement, uh, waiving all liability and everything, and so they would not bring their product to their country. Exactly. Remember who yes. that was? Um, yeah. Well, that's that's really interesting, and it really goes to show we have got to make these manufacturers responsible for the products again. Um, and, you know, especially at times of emergency, excuse me. <laughs> and we have got to take all the decision making for these products out of the hands of our government who have proved to be absolutely unreliable, untrustworthy, um, you know, and with the latest covalent booster out there with um, Pfizer testing it on eight mice and, and Moderna in 10 mice and all the mice got COVID. <laughs> and and the experts are saying uh, it's not really going to do you any good. So, yeah, anyway, it's 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 just so infuriating, everything that we're hearing. And yet I'm so encouraged by what you have learned, because this country has and the world has come up with some great documents that really show the best of mankind. We're going to protect each other. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to put laws and regulations in place so that the best of mankind can be protected. And those of you who want to do nefarious things, we're going to be able to keep you out. And that has what has been abandoned for the first couple of years um, in, uh, in the United States and around the world. But people like you going down the rabbit hole, doing the research, you're going to bring it back to the courtroom 
and then it's going to spread. It'll spread from the cases that you're on to the brilliant firefighters and policemen who've lost their jobs. Um, it will it will spread to everybody once that happens, and that's so exciting. So well, there are, I, go ahead. You know, just to encourage everybody, hearts. I can't go into what they are, but I can tell you there are significant lawsuits in development right now uh, against private corporations. And you know, once we have a couple of those victories and that the legal briefs and the transcripts are public domain, then mm -hmm. 60,000 trial lawyers get a hold of it. It's all she wrote after that point. Oh, amen. Amen. You, that is so good news. Great news heading into the weekend. Brian Ward, thank you. Thank you for being you. I'm so grateful you've got this wonderful supportive wife who's, you know, being there supporting this journey that you're on too. I'm looking forward to you living in Tennessee and I want to meet you in person. <laughs> Um, so everybody, if you want to learn more, support what he's doing and learn maybe to incorporate some of his great research into whatever actions you're taking in your own life. And we all should be taking actions in our own life. Go to covidpenalty.com, covidpenalty.com. And um, I guess we, we're, we're just down to the last 15 seconds or so, Brian. Well, thank um, you, Bernadette, for having me today. Uh, you're welcome. And please feel free to reach out to me if you have updates or information that you need the public to hear, because it not only goes to the greater Puget Sound area, it goes to Facebook, but it goes to CHDTV, which has a global audience. So you're welcome back on anytime. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHDTV. We're going to take a break and when we come back. We've got more great legal discussion to come. Take care. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. Hello and welcome back to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. So pleased to be here. I hope you were able to catch that first hour. Oh my goodness, Brian Ward is such a treasure. And you know, I had this tab open on my computer and I forgot to tell you guys that a lot of the things that uh, Brian Ward was talking about um, you can learn about at ipac.edu. I'm going to go ahead and share with you guys here. So I've mentioned IPAC ID, uh, IPAK-edu with you guys before. I have the distinct pleasure and honor right now of, of, now, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, he says, like, I'm a co-teacher with him, but I feel like I'm I'm kind of a more of a sidekick and student in this amazing class where we're talking about uh, laws about medical freedom and informed consent. Uh, we've been going over the Belmont Report and, um, you know, all of the human rights documentation. It takes me a couple of times, like I said, in the last hour for my memory to hold on to these things. Brian Ward is kind of amazing in his ability to retain things. He said he can read something and connect it with something he read 30 years ago. Ah, I envy that kind of memory. Um, 
so I just want to remind all of you of the amazing offerings at IPAC-EDU. This is education for the people by the most amazing instructors. Um, so, I mean, there's there's MDs, PhDs, people actually working in the field. I want to tell you a little bit about like the September classes coming up in psychology and wellness. We've got how not to be fooled, um, integrative wellness for mental health. There's health and wellness class, the biology of cancer, biology of nutrition, resolving nutritional confusion, vaccine course that's a brilliant one and it goes through the history the science of every vaccine vaccine targeted disease it's just brilliant uh analytics you can learn about spreadsheets and the math of vaccine science uh biology introduction to biology the ecology for the masses environmental science um the law i mean you look at that it is amazing so IPAC-EDU. I encourage you to check it out. If you could squeeze a little bit of learning, you know, moving forward into your life, the more we as individuals know about all the subjects that really are so important impact our lives and what could be more impactful than the health choices that we make. And a lot of times those health and medical choices are based on the science that is presented to us. And we need to be able to understand where that science comes from, how it can be manipulated, how to read it critically so we understand what we're reading, understand our rights. So that's why Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and IPAC created IPAC-EDU, extremely affordable, um, great information. Um, and, and a lot of times the classes are recorded. So like the informed consent class that, that I'm part participating in, um, that one will be available for you to, at a very reduced price, to just go watch the, the recordings of the classes and begin to learn a lot of the stuff that Brian Ward talked about in the last hour. Okay, and so with that said, we've got a great guest for, for this hour as well. We have a wonderful attorney, Christina. I'm going to bring Christina on because I'm going to ask her if she could please... Um, pronounce her name for me. I'm hoping her connections are going to be okay. I know you're having a little bit of trouble connecting. So I know if, if this fails that you'll jump on the, the telephone, but I can see you. Let's see if we can hear you. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yay. Okay, good. It's a little bit spotty. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So Christina, how do I pronounce your last name? Zanides. Say that again. It broke up when you said the name. Christina Zanides. Zanides. I'm going to just imagine a Z. Zanides. Okay. Yeah. Can I call you Christina to make it easy? Okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to read a little bit about you. So you're an experienced immigration attorney with over 12 years representing hundreds of individuals in a variety of applications for both immigrant and non-immigrant status. Prior to starting your career in the immigration field, you worked as a visiting attorney in the legal protection unit at UNHCR. What does that stand for? Um, it's the United Nations High Commissioner Office for Refugees. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Cyprus and served as a judicial intern in trial chambers at the International Criminal Tribunal, Tribunal in the former Yugoslavia in The Hague. 
you received your Juris Doctor from Seattle University School of Law. Hey, yeah, that's my, <laughs> where, where I'm homegrown in Seattle, now living in Tennessee. Um, and yet Bachelor of Arts uh, from Boston College. So in October of 2021, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services added the COVID-19, we'll call it a vaccine, even though it's not, to the required list of vaccines on the medical exam required for all applicants for permanent residency in the U.S. And so your, Christina, your law firm, the brilliant Stephen Glimstad, who a lot of people who uh, follow CHD, Children's Health Defense, certainly know about. Um, they do just amazing work. They, You've been assisting many immigrant applicants for permanent residency with the waiver of the vaccination requirements on religious beliefs or moral convictions. And you're going to talk to us about that today. Before we begin, were you able to hear my guest in the last hour? I caught just a few minutes. Okay. I didn't hear a lot. Um, I, I caught it at the, at the very end, a little bit of chatter about, about immigration. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted to see if what I he was talking about. Talk. <laughs> okay, you might want to go back and listen, and then I'll give you the link to it's covidpenalty.com to go look up his website and see some yeah. of these things. But what I found really interesting was that, you know, because the COVID shots are still the ones accessible, are still EUA, they're still experimental, that that Belmont report and, and the CFR, I never can remember, 45, the, the federal reg regulations having to do with uh, human trial subjects, it doesn't say you have to be a citizen. So that's what that's the information that I asked him about. So that might be something for you and Siri Glimstead to go on the down the rabbit mm -hmm. hole about. But in the meantime, you're doing this great work, helping people um, enter the country without having to get these experimental jabs because of their religious or moral convictions, right? So yeah. if, if I could begin with, um, why is it, you in the description of what you're doing, the term moral convictions comes in there, but what we're hearing in the United States when people are being told they can have a medical exemption or religious exemption, Moral convictions is is not included in the language that Americans are being told is I, I know it exists for them, but they're not being told about it. I guess yeah, I mean I guess that's that's one one place where uh immigration now got it right. <laughs> you know, because yeah. this um waiver to apply for, for this waiver is yeah is written into, um, into the INA. Um, and the INA, the, which is the, the federal regulations, um, you know, the laws passed by Congress that set forth the laws related to immigration. Okay. Um, and so that's how it's written. I think the policy behind it, you know, is, um, you know, going back many, many years before the situation we're in now is that we're ultimately, we're a country that, you know, one of our founding principles is freedom of religion, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people come to this country because of that. Um, so it was definitely, um, you know, if you read, um, even in the instructions when applying for this waiver, it says, you know, that USCIS, um, which is the U.S. Um, citizenship and immigration services who adjudicates these applications, um, you know, that they have a, a sensitive task at hand where they have to 
um, really respect people's um, sincere religious beliefs and moral convictions, and then weigh that against, you know, whatever potential negative outcome there would be for letting someone, um, you know, not receive the required vaccinations. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of where it comes from. And and you're right to point out that it, it is a little bit more uh, broad than than what a lot of other uh, citizens are having to to prove with, you know, their own religious exemptions. Exactly. And but, you know, without going in a completely different direction, what employers and some governments are requesting of of their employees is absolutely illegal in this country. You you should you don't have to prove to anybody, you know, that in fact, there was um, somebody did like a public records request in Washington state at the beginning of all this, and they caught the governor telling the attorneys to wordsmith the religious exemption to be so convoluted and difficult that most people wouldn't qualify. Now, I know I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember the exact language, but (laughs) that, you know, you're not supposed to have to be put through this religious litmus test. In fact, um, what was really interesting is prior to COVID, I recall being at a Washington State Board of Health meeting um, at which the discussion of religious exemptions was happening. And a doctor stood up and said, but wait a minute, if I sign these religious exemptions, do I have to call the priest or the minister? And do I have blah, blah, blah. And the Secretary of Health at the time um, and the head of the immunization department said, oh, no, 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 no. No, no, it's not your job to judge somebody's uh, religious beliefs. And it's not our job. They just sign that it is their uh, firm religious belief that um, that they oppose these vaccinations on their own personal religious moral grounds. And you aren't to question them. But through COVID, that has been absolutely obliterated. And I do look forward to someday as we clean up the mess of what's happening, somebody going back and showing how unlawful that was so we can get back to true protections um, based on our fabulous laws that this country uh, was founded on and has developed over the years, as well as, um, uh, you know, as as well as the um, the current situation. I'm sorry, I got distracted a little bit and I lost my train of thought because we have got Christina trying to come back on. Here she comes. <laughs> um, we might need to get her via telephone if she's not having a very good internet connection today. So let's give it one more time, Christina. Can you hear me? Oh, no. So maybe we'll get her to call in um, and talk about that. So. I'm going to go ahead while she tries to connect. I'm going to bring our listeners to Informed Choice Washington. I'm going, let's see, go ahead and bring us to the homepage. And I want to talk about some stuff that's going on in the state while we try to get our our guest back. 
I'm going to bring up the things that we've been working on here because we are still working on some pretty important issues. So I want to uh, encourage our, our regular listeners and people who are members in Informed Choice Washington. I want to thank you for your contributions that make this show possible. Um, and remember to visit regularly because we put up posts. We, we can't cover all aspects of everything going on, not even if we narrow it just to the to the health-related issues that we try to stay focused on. So, you know, we encourage you to visit this as well as Children's Health Defense, The Defender. There are so many great places to visit to get good information. So a recent post, um, there's a video with a doctor presenting the latest science on the risk of myocarditis following natural SARS-CoV-2 infection versus the risk of myocarditis from the shots. I encourage you to watch the video and then share it with others, share it with doctors, share it with employers, share it with your elected officials. Um, there's really good information that brings us up to date. I see we have got this connected audio. Hi, Christina, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to do some tech troubleshooting to get back on. But in the meantime, here I am. <laughs> okay, great. That's okay. We can, we've got a lovely photo of you and we can hear your voice and that's what counts. So um, I was just, uh, you know, in, in your absence, reminding people to check out our website, informedchoicewa.org. You know, there's really some great places to get information these days. One of them is the, the, platform that I didn't even know about, maybe it didn't exist before, Substack. But during COVID, I certainly discovered Substack. And it doesn't your law firm, um, or at least Aaron Siri, have a Substack? Um, yes, he does. Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So I, you know, go check out Substack if this is a, a platform new to you, Substack.com. Um, almost all of the people who post there, you can view for free. Or if you decide you want to uh, contribute to support the individuals in the work that they're doing, you can join and become a member um, and pay a little bit in order to support the work they're doing. It's so important to support those individuals who are kind of right now dedicating their lives to getting us back on track as a nation. And certainly, um, Siri and Glimstad, the law firm, has doing brilliant work um, pre-COVID and now during COVID as well. Uh, Christina, it looks like you froze again. Can you, um, yeah, we, can you hear me? Yeah, I think we might have to just stick with the phone. Um, if we can switch back over to the phone, that would be good. All righty. Well, while we get her back on the line, I'm going to I'm going to return to sharing some of the information that we have on our website. Oops. There we go. OK, we also have um, a, a feature that some of you might not be aware of who watch this show in our ICWA News and Views, a wonderful uh, member named Gerald uh, writes like this, a weekly kind of a newsletter. And at the top of each one, he um, includes links to the references 
that I make on the show on Fridays. So by Monday, Gerald has listened to the show and made notes and and come up with a list of links that we reference. So if you're curious about some of the things we were talking about today's show or last week's show, uh, go find um, the next Mondays or Tuesday. Sometimes it doesn't get posted till Tuesday. News and views. And there you will find links to who you just heard interviewed on the show. All righty, we're going to go on back to our guest. You got to love technology. At least there's more than one way to get on the show. Hi again, Christina. But anymore. <laughs> yeah, let's just stick with this. So, um, all righty. So, um, go ahead. Let, I'm just going to let you dive in now. And oh, we lost her again. Oh, come back. <laughs> Shoot. I'm here. You're here. Okay. I'm here on the phone. Oh, so I guess. You're on video and on the phone. So let's just go for it. Okay. So, yeah. So one of the things that our firm has been, um, has been doing, you know, since they added the COVID-19 vaccination is helping a lot of people with, um, with uh, the waiver uh, based on religious beliefs and moral convictions. And I guess, so the main thing that I, the main point I want to get across today is just to kind of educate people about that because a lot of people don't know about it. Um, you know, they don't know that this exists. Um, and there's also like a lot of uh, misconceptions about it, um, you know, that I'd love to talk about, um, you know, because this is something um, just going back. It's, it's um, when someone is applying um, for residency for their green card, there is a medical exam that's required. Um, as part of that, um, and that's, you know, been many, many years part of the process. And um, mm-hmm. one of the things on that medical exam is vaccinations. And historically, it is written into, um, into the immigration law. Um, you know, there were, I think, nine of them that are in the immigration law, and they're primarily the, the childhood vaccines, like what you would consider the childhood vaccines. And, you know, before the whole um, pandemic, most people just, if they needed a booster, they would just get the booster. They're like, okay, I've got to do this for my green card. Um, you know, and it wasn't something that a lot of people applied for this, this waiver, right? And then um, when they added COVID-19 in, um, it's almost been one year, it was October 21, um, then, you know, because a lot of people started learning about the COVID-19 vaccines and started, you know, questioning and going down that little rabbit hole. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people said, no, I don't want it. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of attorneys and immigration attorneys um, either, you know, don't have experience with this waiver or um, I've seen a lot of times that they just don't want to do it because they don't want, they don't believe in it themselves. So they're not going to help their clients do it, which I think is, is questionable, but that's happening so a lot. You, you mean there are some attorneys who don't believe it's right to exempt yourself from the COVID shot, and so they won't help? Right. Yes, exactly. So we've had a lot of people come to us. Um, you know, they've already, they're at the end of their case. They're like ready for their, their green card. They've got their interview. You know, it's like about to be granted. And, um, but they, they need to meet this requirement because it's one of the admissibility requirements, you know, for residency is to meet mm-hmm. these health, um, this health screening. And 
and they call us and they say, I'm so glad I found you because, uh, you know, I have my attorney, my immigration attorney has been helping me for the last five years and, and they won't help me with this waiver. And they told me there's no chance it's going to be approved. And, um, and I should just take what I need to take and be done with it. And they're not going to help me with it. Um, and so then, you know, luckily they, they find us and we're able to help them. That is fantastic. What do you find that you're mostly successful or do you like a percentage of? How- yeah, I don't have a percentage overall um, for like how USCIS is adjudicating these. But I can tell you that our firm has been very successful. We've gotten many, many grants. Um, and um, I think that, well, I lost I lost my train of thought, but. <laughs> Um, you know, that's contain. Yeah. I, can't, I can't have a train of thought tonight. So yeah, there's, I'm with you. There's a lot of, you know, but there is a lot of misconception. Like people say it's, it's never going to be approved. Um, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. In the beginning, before we got any decisions, we were like filing so many of them and we hadn't got any decisions. And I started to get really nervous. And I was like, what if, you know, there's some directive, um, you know, from whoever high up saying you're just going to deny all of these, like, doesn't matter it's just like a blanket denial and I started to get really nervous um but then we started to get the approvals rolling in and I saw okay they are looking at them they are giving them you know a a fair review um so that's good so I guess what I would like to know is what how much information about an individual's religious beliefs or moral, what was the other, uh, moral convictions? Moral convictions. How much information are you required to provide to, to prove it, to prove that they, mm. they are sincere? Yeah, good question. So, yeah, the, the, the waiver is adjudicated solely on the paper, right? There's no interview that they go to. Um, so it really comes down to your statement. And if you have any supporting documents to corroborate your beliefs, you can submit those. But not everyone has those. And it's perfectly fine not to have those. Um, but it's your statement. It's, it's so important because you have this one chance to put in words and write and to explain to USCIS what are your beliefs, um, to convince them, persuade them that they're real, that they're sincere, and then also to tie it to how those beliefs, you know, a, why that the practice of vaccination is a violation of those beliefs or convictions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a hard thing to do. Most people, you know, don't know how to do that. Um, I would say, I mean, there's no, I've seen statements from people that are two pages and I've seen statements that are 20 pages. It kind of depends on like how much you have to say and, and how much you want to say, right? Um, but I mean, at minimum, you need to set, you need to explain what, what are your beliefs? I, I like to always explain, you know, how you grew up, how you came to your beliefs, um, any influences in your life, um, you know, that helped shape those beliefs or convictions. Um, and then, you know, of course, you have to tie it to what is it about the practice of vaccination that, that violates those beliefs. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely like an art. <laughs> yeah, well, To me, and you know, and I, I, I've said this many times. Personally, for me, getting a COVID nineteen shot, and I would say any shot at this point, because of how much research I have done, 
is self-harm. To choose it would be self-harm. I no longer have a minor child. My child's an adult. But if I had a minor child, for me to choose it based on my informed um, decision would also be harmful. I would be doing my child harm. That is my firm moral conviction. And I don't belong to any church. But my personal religious religious beliefs that impact my everyday choices. I don't believe in self-harm or doing harm to others to to as much as I can to try to be a good positive force in this world. And I also do not believe in allowing coercion or undue influence to sway me from those moral convictions. So that's, I mean, and and, and it's not, so it's, it's not just tied to like this one product. And I, you know, so many people like they're, they're concerned because they've gotten every shot known to man until this came along and now they want to say no. And like the illegal um, religious forms that I told you, our governor here in uh, Washington state has cooked up. They ask if you've ever had any vaccinations before, have you ever taken an aspirin, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just tries to make you say that you're you're just like opposed to them forevermore. But to me, every single medical decision involving a pharmaceutical product is a one-off. It's a unique. I have to in I have to weigh the risks and benefits and whether something is harm and doing self-harm is against my religion. Okay, I've said it, I've explained it. So if anybody, if that really speaks to your soul, speaks to your moral conviction, speaks to your religious beliefs, that covers everything, you know? And I encourage people not to hang their their hook on one ingredient that they have posed or, you know, because ingredients change, but how you feel about accepting something, we, um, it should not hinge on any particular ingredient. Anyway, that's just me. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, that's what we try to do when we're working with clients to, to write their statements um, is um, to help them think about it like that, right? And describe how you live your life, right? You're not, you can't say, um, I'm opposed to self-harm or I believe my body's a temple and then like smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, right? Like that's going to tell you SAS that you're not sincere in your beliefs. Um, so it, it really does, um, you know, you want to explain how you live your life, not related to vaccination, right? And what your beliefs are and, um, and then bring it back to that. And um, and I do want to emphasize that um, it's based on what your beliefs are, you know, today, right now. So a lot of people say, well, I, I had vaccines in the past. Um, I'm not eligible mm-hmm. for this waiver. And that's not true. Your religious beliefs can change. You could have had a spiritual awakening. You could have deepened your faith. You could have completely changed your faith, right? So, um, you know, and, and the firm actually has been successful in, in getting waivers granted for people who were very recently vaccinated, um, mm-hmm. like even within the last year. And you just have to explain with sincerity, right, to convince them that this is true, that you really did have a change of heart and your beliefs changed. And now this is a very serious violation of your faith and your convictions. Um, 
And so, yeah. you know, I, I just want to make sure that people know that you're still eligible, you know, if, even if you've been vaccinated in the past. Yeah. And, you know, this whole idea of religious freedom, medical freedom, and the way they overlap and the way they are tangled is is really very important. And, you know, the whole idea that every vaccine is created equal, that all vaccination is created equal, that you're either for vaccination or post a vaccination is absurd. I mean, that's like, I mean, are people pro painkiller? Well, if you're pro-painkiller, you must be for opioids. Why are you standing up being critical about opioids? You're pro-painkiller, right? I mean, we don't lump them all together. And somebody, I would think, could have a deeply held religious belief that the COVID-19 spike protein, I said, I know I said earlier that um, you shouldn't um, maybe hang all your eggs on one ingredient. But in this case, if somebody truly has, has, does, um, support vaccination as a whole, but not this in particular, when somebody gets, um, a, a waiver as, as you are helping them secure their right to get this waiver, that doesn't preclude them in the future. Should circumstances change, and some other illness comes along for which there is a vaccine product that they do believe is right for them and to get, right? They haven't locked themselves out, I guess, is what I'm saying, of, yeah, of a free medical choice accurate. in the future. That's accurate. Okay. I mean, um, you do, one of the requirements for the waiver is that you do have to object to vaccination in all forms, right? So, so when you're applying- So that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Okay, so we've got to change that law that that see right there, all of the this attempt to lump all vaccines together is absolutely absurd. Okay, sorry. But I, I just every time we see a law that is so ridiculously unjust and unscientific. We, we, we've got to earmark that for when we're through this crisis, we got to go get rid of that stupid thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So on the one hand, we talked about earlier that they're kind of generous and that they're also allowing us moral convictions. But on the other hand, they're saying you have to oppose all of them, right? So it's, um, it's the same. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the requirement, but the, the, they're allowing us, it's our inalienable right to stand firmly, this country has the constitution that doesn't give us rights. It protects our rights as given by God. So it's just annoying that that they're trying to say. So now you have you have to say no. From now, you know, I don't believe in the process of vaccination. I mean, I personally don't. Honestly, after again, I've been down the rabbit hole. I'm totally for medical freedom. If you go down the rabbit hole and you are actually given all the information that you need and you choose the, the a vaccine, um, that's your choice. If you're given full information, most people are not. But, yeah. um, okay. But you're correct. So, I mean, they could apply for it. They have to be obviously truthful on that application at that moment in time that they object to all of them. But if in the future, let's say five years down the road, they want a vaccine. I mean, they're not going to get their green card taken away from them, right? I don't know. I don't trust this <laughs> government not. not to do it. 
you know, although they would probably just be happy somebody agreed to be injected. So I'm a bit <laughs> cynical that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so so this is good. It's good to know that individuals who are who've been working so hard to legally um, be in this country and to become a citizen or no, it's a legal resident. It's not a citizen. Is that right? It's part of the requirements to um, get your residency, which is the green card. Um, okay. And then after you're a resident and you meet certain requirements for a certain number of years, you can apply for citizenship. So okay. you don't go directly to citizenship. Okay. So you, you, you go through an awful lot of steps and I yes. guess those of us born here, um, we tended to be somewhat complacent about our rights and our freedoms. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of yeah. how we got into this mess uh, that's happening. But, you know, those individuals who chose to come to this country um, and are working very hard to, uh, to get that residency and then maybe eventually become citizens, I'm so glad that you're there to protect them in this crazy time. Um, on the, in the last hour, Brian Ward explained something that um, I absolutely did not know. We've been hearing a lot of news stories that a lot of illegal immigrants have been coming over the border and they have not been required to get vaccinated. So you've heard about that. They haven't been required to get the COVID shot. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of theories out there about what's going on and why. But mm -hmm. he said that because they're not legal immigrants, they're illegal immigrants, they don't fall under US, U.S. jurisdiction. And therefore, if if they are made to get a shot, they don't fall under the contract between Pfizer and the U.S. And they could potentially, although they have no money, sue Pfizer. I don't know how true that is. Well, I'm, I don't say that that. Um, that Brian Ward isn't telling the truth. Um, I worded that poorly. I just, I would love to see how that plays out. If that's really driving why they are not, or maybe the U.S. government would be responsible more so than they claim to be I now. I think that's, that's maybe more of it. Um, but I mean, when you think about what's happening at the border, it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of chaos. Um, I mean, at both land borders, um, I'll back up, there's, you know, there is the restriction for travel right now that's still in place um, from the presidential proclamation that all non-citizens, anyone who's not a citizen or a resident of the United States or fits into some other narrow exceptions um, does need, you know, the COVID vaccine to enter the U.S. And that's still in place. Um, and there's the, the proclamation is is for air travel. And then it also does apply to the borders. So, I do know just anecdotally from what I hear from clients and potential clients that it's not totally being enforced um, at either border, <laughs> um, okay. you know, a, a little bit here, a little bit there. But um, the southern border is, a, is different, a different beast than, you know, the Canadian U.S. border. Um, I mean, there is an exception for asylum seekers, um, you know, and refugees that it's not supposed to apply to them, right, because that gets to kind of like humanitarian law and if you're fleeing persecution, if you're genuinely fleeing persecution and like fearing for your life, you're not going to turn someone away and say, oh, but you don't have this this shot, right? Generally, they allow them in 
we're talking about people who are apprehended or who go to a port of entry and present themselves. They would generally be allowed in without it. They would be held um, in in custody. And um, I don't know what's happening like right now at the border, but I do have some colleagues who work um, in the border communities and at those detention facilities. And I know that at least earlier this year, they were giving um, people in detention the COVID vaccine, particularly minors. They were giving minors oh. um, the COVID vaccine. Oh, no. Um, without, you know, and just saying that we, on, on behalf of them, because they're unaccompanied, we can consent to them getting this. So I oh, know that wow. was happening. Um, now, it's another thing. Obviously, if someone's coming in illegally and they're not apprehended, well, then, no. of course, they got in and they're not. They got it. Right. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, there's a little bit. But then there's also people who go to the border at the port of entry at Mexico, present a visa, a valid visa or a travel document. They don't have it. And they're also allowed in. So, you know, a little bit. Of a of a free for all from what I what I've heard. Yeah, um, yeah, a little bit of game. Well, I don't want anybody, um, legal, illegal, anybody to um, be given these shots without fully informed consent. That's just mm-hmm. the humane thing to do. I mean this this conversation with you is not about um, you know kind of qualifying a life. You know right. if if they're here. Um, don't inject them with poison. That's my my basic philosophy. (laughs) You know, do what you need to do as far as the immigration laws and whatever, but nobody deserves to be injected (laughs) with poison. You can see I do not censor myself at all. And 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 my feelings are not a secret about uh, these products. The, The science is so overwhelming now of the harm that these do. The spike protein, so many studies have shown it to be um, a toxin in its own right, and your body is cranking it out or it's contained in it, um, in in the shot itself, in, in like the Novavax. And it's, yeah, it's just mind blowing. But we have to protect each other. And I'm so glad that there are individuals and there are law firms that are stepping up to do this. So I do encourage um, everybody who can, you know, hear this. If you know individuals who are struggling, who have been told you have to get the shot or you're going to be what is deported. Is that the word? This is not my. Yeah. Yeah. They would have their green card application denied and then, you know, potentially be deported or have to leave the United States or not be allowed to enter the United States if they're outside. Wow. Can you explain, um, you know, are there a lot of individuals, when you come here to work, let, let's kind of look like even at the um, the farm labor force has traditionally been very heavily legal immigrant. Um, do they apply for a green card or is there a work status that's different or how does that work? Um, they could eventually if um, you know, if they came in on a work visa, an employment visa, a lot of times um, there's a pathway to residency um, mm-hmm. through those types of visas, um, right, if the employer is willing to sponsor mm-hmm. um, the employee. Um, and then, um, you know, there's also a lot of family petitions, right, which is when a family member who has status petitions um, another family member. 
Um, I mean, the, the tricky thing right now is that there's two different policies in place, right? There's the, there's this vaccination requirement that's part of the application for the green card for residency. That's one thing. But, mm-hmm. and there's a waiver for that, right? That we've discussed. But there's also the, the border restrictions right now uh, that apply to all non, um, non-citizens and non-residents. So it's causing a lot of problems um, for me as an immigration attorney because there's a lot of people out there who have valid visas. They've been granted a visa to come here, and they can't because they're not vaccinated. Um, and so they can't actually enter the United States. So, right, like a student could have um, applied, you know, let's say we have a Canadian student and he applied and got into, I don't know, the University of Miami, and he has an mm-hmm. F-1 visa and it's approved, but he's not vaccinated, he's not going to be allowed to enter the United States. Similar. So can, oh, go ahead. Well, can, can they apply also for a waiver? There's no, um, to, for the entry requirements, there is no religious yeah. or moral convictions waiver. Um, there's a very, very narrow set of exceptions. Um, there is a medical exception, but they're going by, the, you know, the CDC definition of what a contraindication is, which I'm sure you know is very, very narrow. It's ridiculous, yeah. Um, so, so people could have, you know, we've got a lot of clients who have work visas and mm-hmm. um, they can't enter. They can't depart, you know, to renew their visa or go to their interview at the consulate um, in order, you know, to enter the United States right now. Oh, that that's really infuriating. I don't, why are they? Why does the system not incorporate um, uh, religious exemptions for work visas? How how did they legally exclude these individuals? Um, you know, from that basic right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's under the broad authority of you know the the executive branch essentially to you know make these. Um, these executive orders during a time of, you know, emergency. Um, that's <laughs> essentially how, how they're doing it. Um, you know, it's the same that we saw other countries do when they shut their borders, but it seems to me mm-hmm. that most countries, you know, shut their borders much earlier than we did, and then they reopened them a long time ago, and we're, you know, like a year behind here um, where we still mm-hmm. have it shut, essentially. Yeah, it yeah, and not allowing in what that famous tennis player to play in a big match. Yes, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Just do you do you see in your interactions with these you know hardworking federal officials uh, in you know dealing with immigration? Do you see that there's um, a sort of understanding unofficially that this is ridiculous, that these shots don't work and that to force people to get them or to make them go through all these hoops is, uh, do you get a sense of, of, of anything? Of, from, from the government? Yeah. I mean, not from the government, but from, for the people who work for the government. <laughs> Cause we all know the official government stance, <laughs> but you know, without naming any names, do the individual people caught up in the system who work for the government, mm, do you get a yeah. sense that they believe in what they're doing? Well, I'm, 
I think it's very curious that so many CBP officers aren't aren't enforcing the current um, regulation. I mean, I don't have any secret information here, but I just find yeah. that you know, for me, I think maybe they don't believe in it, and they just so they just don't ask. And it's sort of like a don't ask, don't tell. And people, you know, have told me like I I went to the border, um, they didn't ask me, and they and I was just allowed in. Um, Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe that tells me that those people don't believe in it, and that's why they're not enforcing it, because I don't know why yeah. else they wouldn't. You know, they're supposed to ask mm-hmm. for it um, mm-hmm. right now, um, and I'm sure they know they're supposed to ask for it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's been... Oh, go ahead. Well, it's just been, you know, there's just so much chatter, especially those of us who are absolutely opposed to these shots, a lot of people kind of resent the fact that if you're an illegal person to this country, they're not enforcing and they're not letting them get it. But on the flip side, I'm thinking, yay. <laughs> I mean, I don't want people to come here illegally. I, you know, I, I want everything, you know, people to do the, the right way. Um, this is not my avenue of expertise, though. I'm going to stay out of all the immigration issues that are going on. However, um, I'm very glad to hear when individuals faced with enforcing something that is unscientific, unjust, and dangerous, don't carry it out. I just wish that we get enough of these individuals to have the moral courage to officially stand up and say, no, we're not doing it. Yeah. If, if, if all the people who truly knew that these were wrong, that it was the wrong thing to do, EUA should be pulled, license should be yanked, and everybody should be shipped, you know, their COVID care kit with the vitamin C, D, zinc, hydroxychloroquine, and, and ivermectin, um, and all the other good things, quercetin and whatnot. Uh, we could make it happen. Um, I, so I guess the first step is people just in their actions being defiant and non-compliant. But this has to rise up above that, because at some point, pretending to play along feeds the system, feeds the injustice, uh, allows it to continue. Yeah. 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 So uh, do you have any... Well, I'm hopeful that, you know, the ones, the decisions that we've gotten on these waivers, you know, each waiver is adjudicated by a human at USCIS, right? Um, Yes. I've been I've been encouraged, you know, to think that either our waivers are really, really good <laughs> or, um, you know, maybe we're convincing some people at USCIS or maybe there are people, you know, working at that agency for the government that that also, you know, think this way and and, and believe in it. And and that's maybe why yeah. we're getting so many grants. At least that's what I like to think, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, in your realm of things, um, the individual who makes that decision, they're able to act within their authority and right to accept mm-hmm. and, and you know, and grant the waivers. Um, whereas maybe the guard down at the border, um, not asking and waving somebody through, technically, he's um, being non-compliant. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if... Uh, somebody would get in trouble for that. Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, but it is good news that 
that they're being processed and it, and and being accepted and the waivers are being granted. And I'm sure it does have a lot to do with the guidance that your firm provides because you guys do excellent work. You work very hard to um, to to know the law and know the rights and guide people to give them their best shot at achieving whatever it is they're trying to achieve here <laughs> within the yeah. law. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. We've only got about like three, four more minutes. Do you have any last words? Where, where do you recommend people go if they know somebody who needs help, such as what you provide? Yeah, you can go directly to our website, um, which is www.sirillp.com, just S-I-R-I-L-L-P. Um, and then if you go under practice areas, we've got a whole immigration um, practice, um, and you click, there's there's tabs for the vaccination waiver, or even if you just click on immigration, or even if you click on any other form on our page, it'll get directed <laughs> to me, um, you know, if you need assistance. Um, with, with immigration, I mean, we are a full-service immigration practice, so we can do things other than just this waiver, but it's just been that this has been a big part of our practice for, you know, the last year because of how many people need it and how many, um, you know, immigration attorneys don't have experience in it or don't want to do it, you know. So there, there's very mm-hmm. few immigration attorneys out there who are handling these. Um, okay. So it has been a big part of our practice, but we also can do other things we can, you know, that aren't related to this too. I just want to say, um, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I would get you scheduled for, for a call and, and we could see if we can help you. That is fantastic. So yeah, I do have your website pulled up here and I clicked on practice areas and I see on the far right with vaccine exemptions that Syrian Glimstad assists with EEOC. Remind me what equal, um, what that all stands for? Uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity. Um, that's Thank for you. if people, um, pull up our website too, it's for, if people were denied, um, especially in employment settings, um, so okay. if they applied for an exemption with their employer and then it was denied. And if, if you believe that there's any, um, you know, discrimination there, we can file a claim with EEOC. Okay. Right. And so vaccine and then for employees, and then there's a tab for immigration, military and students, you've got a whistleblower tab. Um, that's an interesting research funding. What's the whistleblower tab about? Um, I actually or, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'm we'll so have to do with the immigration stuff, but I, I don't have much yeah. time to. Um, yeah. What's everybody else up yeah. to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've got some vaccine custody, vaccine injury. Um, those yeah, the are really important. Yeah, is a tough one that's come up a lot, you know, in the last yeah. year. Um, mm-hmm. any, anything in family court is, is tough, but um yeah, you know, yeah. where one parent, maybe the parents aren't together anymore, right? And there's one parent who wants it for the kids and one parent who doesn't. Um, so- That's I first saw the brilliance of Aaron Siri, of Siri and Glimstad, um, was when he did that brilliant uh, interview of the king of vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. His name escapes me right now because I'm having a memory day. <laughs> but wow, it was like yeah. nine. 
Go, oh, I, I hear the music coming. So, Christina, thank you so much for joining me today and for your good work. Everybody, Siri and Glenstad, it's uh, S-I-R-S-I-R-I-L-L-C.com. Yep, that's right. Uh, check them out. Um, and thank you so much. Uh, you've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW TV. Y'all have a good weekend and we'll be back next week. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.